0: So I'm so excited that you're here this morning, and we are concluding, as Ricky said earlier, a series uh, that we've titled Advent, uh, where we've been kind of preparing for the Christmas season. Now, um, Advent comes from the Latin, and it means arrival or coming. And so all around the world, Christians and churches have been celebrating Advent together. Now, we all do it a little differently. We, it may look a little different, uh, but all of us together, probably for the last month, have been been celebrating and preparing um, to celebrate Christmas as we're in the Advent season and so traditionally Advent lasts the four weeks um, leading up to Christmas so the four weeks before Christmas and so uh, for Sundays that is and so uh, we are in week four because uh, if you haven't figured out already Christmas is this week and so you have four days left to finish or start shopping has anybody has anybody finished you're done well done. Everyone else is giving you dirty looks right now. Um, has anybody, I probably don't even need to ask this. Has anybody not started? Barely. Started. Nice. Barely. All right. Well, we, my wife and I are pretty good, but it's because we're Amazon junkies. So, you know, we buy everything on Amazon. Um, and it's good that my kids are just so used to seeing Amazon boxes because I buy lots of books and there's literally anything. Like I'm like, we're in Walmart, and my wife's like, "Hey, we should get this." I'm like, "I'll just get it on Amazon. I can probably get it cheaper." And so, Amazon boxes are coming to our house all the time, anyways. And uh, so, my kids don't even notice uh, all the boxes. And so, we've been able to get a lot of our shopping done early. So, uh, well, we are right on the doorstep of Christmas, and so we're going to finish our Advent series today, and we're going to look at the birth of Christ. Now, when you walked in, you were handed what I hope you were handed, uh, is what we call a worship guide. There's some good information in there. I'm not going to go through it and read it all for you. Um, But if you'll take a look in there, um, on the left side uh, is a schedule and it kind of shows you where we've been and kind of give you a clue uh, where we're going today. And so we've been looking um, thematically um, at the birth of Christ and kind of looking at themes that are that are exposed within that story, within that narrative. Really looking at these themes and what is it that God wants to teach us? Like what is it that God wants to do in us um, as we read and learn or inspired by the birth of Christ? And so um, we began our series talking about faith and we talked about the faith of Mary. Now when the angel showed up and pronounced that she was pregnant, she was going to give birth to a child, um, that despite all the challenges she was about to face as an unwed teenage mother, Uh, which is a challenge for any woman at any time in history, in any culture, but especially. 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East uh, would have been a terribly difficult time. And despite all that she was about to endure, when the angel announced the news, her response was, if this is God's will, then let it be. I am his servant. And her faith and trusting that God knew what he was doing and was going to take care of her. Uh, So that's what we talked about in our first week. In the second week, we talked about peace and how um, the birth of Christ um, pronounces, celebrates, and brings about peace in individuals and their hearts and their lives and how God wants to do that in us as well. Last week, we talked about hope. and We talked about how the anxious awaiting of God's people for His uh, fulfilled promises, that God had made a promise that He was going to send a blessing. And for thousands of years, the Israelite people were waiting for That blessing. We just sang a song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Uh, Ransom captive Israel was that part of that first verse because the Israelites felt captive in every way that you can imagine Um, politically, geographically, um, spiritually, emotionally. uh, They just felt captive, and Jesus came to be a blessing to the people to set them free. But God made a promise that He was going to send a blessing so that the rest of the nations of the world could be blessed. And Jesus came to do that, and it inspires hope in us that, you know, at Christmas we don't just celebrate a one-time past event. I mean, no, no doubt we do. We celebrate the birth of Christ that took place 2,000 years ago. But more than selling, celebrating just a single event, we celebrate the character of God and that our God keeps His promises, and that brings about hope. And today we're going to talk... About love. And so, if you have your Bibles, if you brought one, great. If not, we have some Bibles scattered throughout. Maybe you want to open up your phone or your tablet and open up the Bible app. Um, It's an easy way to get right to your place pretty quickly. Uh, Or we're going to have many of these verses on the screen for us today as well. So, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 for a little bit. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. What is the most common and usual. Set of verses to read this time of year. And, uh, you know, if you have been with us for the last three weeks during this series, we've bounced around the birth of Christ. We talked about events before and after, and now it's time for us to actually look at the event. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. If you were here last week, though, we talked about Caesar Augustus, um, whose original name was Octavian Um, And so we kind of talked about the civil war that the Roman Empire was going through at this time frame. Um, And so as Octavian, uh, if you remember, if you know history, if you like historical figures, a guy named Octavian defeats a guy named Mark Antony and his mistress, Cleopatra. And then after he takes the throne of the Roman Empire, he gives himself the name Caesar Augustus because he followed Julius Caesar in rule. And so that's where we are historically. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Uh, A common story that we have probably, depending on your experience and involvement with church, um, have read, have uh, listened to, have thought about, have talked about uh, for many, many years. Maybe you didn't even grow up in church. I know with my family... Um, my grandmother, this was just one of her personal traditions that we all had to follow along with when I was growing up, right? Like when you go to grandma's house, you follow grandma's rules. And so we would go and she would have like written on pieces of paper, like a couple verses on each piece of paper. And as soon as you walked in the door, on, on Christmas Eve to celebrate at grandma's house. She was handing them out like you just get ready because you're going to read this here in about 10 minutes. And so we would walk in and if you could read, if you were old enough to read, you got a piece of paper. And so she would hand them out and then we'd all sit in a circle and we'd all go through and take our turn uh, reading. And, and uh, so regardless, maybe you just, uh, maybe your grandma made you read it, but we're all probably pretty familiar uh, with this story and with this section of scripture. That the God of the universe is born in the most humble of ways. And Jesus, in His first advent, His first coming, His first arrival, comes in total humility. In total humility. And one of the reasons why we celebrate Christmas, one of the reasons what gives us hope, what gives us peace, what gives us faith, is that we know that in the second advent when christ returns one day when he comes to finish what he started when he comes to make all things new again that the next time he comes he won't come in humility he'll come in glory and so all these things we've been talking about at advent aren't just inspired by a a one-time moment in the past but also what we believe and hope for and trust in for the future and so jesus comes to this world and Just like Ricky read earlier, we're going to take a look at what is also probably a well-known scripture for many of you. Um, Some of you may want to look this up. Probably a lot of you don't need to, but we're going to have it on the screen anyways. Um, John 3.16, and it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world So Jesus coming here, being born of a virgin, being born of a teenage unwed mother in a place where nobody had ever heard of, that was of no significance. At the time of the birth of Christ, Bethlehem had a population and residency of well under 1,000 people. Small farming village of no significance. And... It was of such little significance to the people that nobody was willing to let this pregnant woman take their room in the inn. They weren't concerned enough with her to make room for her, so she gives birth in a barn. The king of the universe, surrounded by dirty farm animals as he enters into this world. And Jesus tells us in John 3, it's because of God's love for us that he came. Christmas is a reflection of the love of God. This isn't the only time that Jesus talks about love. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at John chapter 13. So we're going to stay in the same book. We're just going to move to the right a little bit. And Jesus says this. Now, I want to give you some context You know, If you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the first three of what we call the Gospels, Um, they're generally written in chronological order. Now, they don't cover every detail. They don't even claim to cover every detail of Jesus' life, what he taught and what he did, but they're generally in chronological order. John's Gospel is not. Um, And it's for no other reason. That just wasn't what John intended to do. And the far majority of John's Gospel only covers one week of Jesus in his life it's the last week of his life and so in John 13 we are less than 24 hours from the crucifixion of Christ as a matter of fact Jesus is in a room with his disciples having his final meal preparing um to be arrested it, he is hours away from being betrayed and arrested and he's 24 hours away from his death and he knows it and he's trying to prepare his disciples He's trying to give them some final words of wisdom. He's trying to help them because he's about to ask these 12 ordinary men to carry on his mission when he's gone. And so in this final moment and this, this last night of his life, his last chance to spend with his disciples, this is part of some of the things he teaches them. And he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. Not by... by the, all people will know you're My disciples by your really good behavior. Put on your Sunday best. Put the fake smile on. Follow all the rules and everyone will know you're Mine. He doesn't say... Everyone will know your mind by the cheesy bumper stickers you put on your car. That's how people will know. Everyone will know by your love for one another. Not your good deeds. Not because you carry a big Bible. Not because of your voting record. By the way you love other people. The outside will know something's different about you. And they'll know there's something different about me. Now, this is in the Gospel of John, which means John is the author. Now, here's what we know about John. We, well, let's give some historic, like, time frame reference. Jesus was born somewhere between 6 and 4 BC. I know it's weird that he wasn't born on 0 BC because the calendar is based on him, but he wasn't. And that's because the guy who started it all had, didn't have good calculations. So now we know better. So Jesus was born around 6 to 4 BC, and he died somewhere between 27, 30, maybe 33 AD. Just kind of depends on how you place him with some historical events and um, particular rulers. And so um, that's the time frame that we know. Here's what we also know. John didn't just write this gospel. He also wrote three letters to churches, and he wrote the book of Revelations. And we know that Revelation was written at the, at, towards the end of the first century. So you put all that on a timeline together, John is a teenage boy right now. For whatever reason, Jesus has selected John to be a part of his inner circle, to come and to follow and to listen and to learn, and trusting this teenage boy that one day he's going to carry on the mission. And so just imagine the impact this is having on John in this moment. Now even John himself doesn't understand that this is Jesus' final 24 hours. He's not going to figure that out for a little while. But you can imagine him reflecting on the last things Jesus ever told him before he was killed. I don't know how much experience you have with death. Unfortunately, as a pastor, that's just a part of the gig for me. Um, Getting called in to those final moments into hospital rooms and into, into homes with, where hospice has already showed up, there to comfort people, to pray for them, to encourage them, whether it's the individual who, who's on their deathbed or maybe the family. Um, that's just a part of the game um, when you're a pastor. And so being around death is something that happens quite often. But, um, but, but I've also been on it on the personal side. Um, when close loved ones are on the deathbed, And if you've experienced that, or maybe you haven't, but um, what you know is is that whatever words come out in those final moments are precious. And you'll forever remember them. I remember when my grandfather passed away, my dad's dad. um, I was just before my freshman year of high school. So I'd have been 14, just about to turn 15. I've never forgotten the things he told me. And I've also never forgotten the things he told my father. Because I had the opportunity to sit in that room, just me and my dad, as my grandfather was talking and sharing words with my dad before he died. I'll never forget what he told my dad. It's like it happened yesterday. I can see the room. I can. Uh. So imagine John reflecting on some of these last words of Jesus. Maybe, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a few years later. Reflecting on the last things that Jesus shared with them. Now I want to show you a letter John writes many, many years later. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. This will be the last set of scripture for us today. Now, normally I don't do this much scripture at once. Normally we do little pieces and then we talk about it. We'll read a little bit, talk about it. But this is is not like a, a real deep, heavy religious, using a lot of fancy words. Uh, kind of letter, and so it's it's a pretty easy read. So I'm going to read um, 14 verses from verse 7 to verse 21 in First John chapter 4. Now you can turn there, you can watch and read, or maybe you could just close your eyes and listen. As an older, wise man, as John is now when he's writing this, is reflecting on the lessons Jesus taught him, and he's now trying to pass it on to this next generation of Christians. And see if you don't recognize some of these teachings from Christ coming out in John's teachings. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, uh, anyone who does not love, excuse me, does not know God because God is love. And this is, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that so that we might live through him in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation propitiation. That word just means wrath removal. So Jesus removed God's wrath from us away from us because of our sin, Uh, sent his son to be the propitiation to remove that wrath for our sins. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You can see the influence, the impact of these teachings Jesus gave to John how they impacted his life and how it impacted John's leadership later on as he's pastoring other people, as he's helping to start some of the very first Christian churches in the world, as he's shepherding people and leading them. He says, if there's not love inside of you, and if there's not love overflowing and pouring out of you, you don't know God. Because God is love. And if He lives in you, then love lives in you. And it's going to flow out of you. The same idea that Jesus shared with His disciples. Other people will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Not your toleration of people. Not your fake... Yeah, I like you. You're okay. But your genuine, sacrificial, self-denying love shows that you're my disciple because that's the kind of love Jesus had. King of the universe. King of the universe. Chooses to come and be born as poor as dirt. In a barn. In a place no one cares about. He comes to a place knowing that while some will believe and follow, many will reject and persecute. He comes knowing what the cross has in store for Him. He comes knowing He's going to choose the cross For us, the king of the universe dies in the most disgusting, humiliating way the world has ever known. The Romans had a number of ways to execute people. The cross was not about execution. It was about torture and humiliation. When Jesus is standing in trial before Pilate, who's the Roman governor in the region... Romans, uh, the uh, Pilate is trying to get Jesus to proclaim his innocence. He doesn't want to send Jesus to the cross. He's trying to get Jesus to say something so he can let him go. Jesus keeps refusing, and for the most part, doesn't speak at all, which speaks volumes. In America, you're innocent until proven guilty. Under Roman law, you're guilty until you can prove yourself to be innocent. And finally, Pilate looks at Jesus and says, "Don't you understand? I have the power to set you free, and the power to." to kill you Jesus looks at him and says you don't have any power that wasn't given to you Bible later says that all things were made by him through him and for him Jesus looked at Pilate and said the only authority you have is the authority I gave you Jesus said no one takes my life I lay it down on my own accord love love The king of the universe chooses all of this because of love. And Jesus and John teach us love should flow out of you if you're really my disciples. This Advent season, this Christmas season, yes, we celebrate a one-time event. More than that, we celebrate the character of our God. And our God is love. Christmas should remind us and encourage us and inspire us towards finding that love. Maybe you know God, maybe you've already believe you already believe in him. You've already confessed him and asked him to forgive you and come into your life and you'd say God is inside of me. And then Christmas is a moment for you to stop and take stock of your life and your actions to ask yourself the hard question To other people who look at me say, I'm a disciple of Jesus because of the radical way I love people? The way I love people who others would say don't deserve it, aren't worthy of it, haven't earned it. Maybe you're just looking at your life today, this morning, and saying, I don't see that love in me, and my encourage my challenge to you. Maybe you don't find the love in there because God's not in there. And John made very clear to us that God abides in us when we confess him, when we embrace him. This Christmas season, we're reminded about how much God loves us. And that kind of powerful love demands a response. And I hope that your response this season is to give your heart and your life to him, to allow him to abide in you, to allow God to be more and more and for you to be less and less so that that love fills you and flows out of you. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. I ask, God, that you would do in these final moments what only you can do. God, that you would work in our hearts, that you would fill us with love. Ultimately, God, that you would fill us with you. I want you to keep your eyes closed for a moment, if you will. Traditionally, at this time, during our Our gathering is a response time. It's an opportunity for us to respond to who God is, what He's doing, what He's speaking in your life. So there's a number of ways that you can respond this morning. As Ricky mentioned, there's communion over here on your left. If you want to take a moment to go, um, maybe take the hand of a loved one with you, a friend with you. Spend a moment praying, thanking Jesus for the sacrifice He made to demonstrate His love. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and remember Christ. Maybe for you, this response will be to stand and to sing as we celebrate in these Christmas songs the coming of our Savior. Maybe for you, your response is to stay seated and to pray, to think, to reflect. Whatever it is that you need to do, we want to invite you and encourage you to do it this morning. And maybe for some of you, this is the moment, this is that that life-changing time where rather than trying to to be good, do good, so you can be a disciple of Jesus, you're just going to let Him come into your life. By faith, you're going to believe in who He is, what He did. You're going to confess that He's the Lord of the universe, that He died for your sins on the cross. You're going to ask Him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins, to fill you with love, to fill you with Himself and His character, so that more and more you begin to, to act and to speak, and to think like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for who you are would you move in this place? Would you give us the honesty to, and the courage to, to be real with ourselves about where we stand in life and with you and to do what's necessary? God, would you move in the hearts of those here who need to respond by inviting you to come into their life to give you everything? For all of us, would you make yourself known this Christmas season to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, to those we'll see in the in the grocery store as, as we're moving about this Christmas season. Would you pour in us and then through us? Lord, we love you. We ask you to continue moving in this place this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?